But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. In the name of the one holy and living God. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. <laughs> it is so, so good to be here. And I don't just mean here at All Saints, because you know, I mean, actually, I've been here a couple of times before, but here actually on a Sunday morning, having worshiped with you for the first um, vigil of Easter a few months back, and having been here to ordain a transitional deacon on a Thursday night, it is wonderful to see what it's like to worship here when it is daylight. <laughs> and it's good, it's good to be able to say how grateful I am for your witness and your ministry in this neighborhood and for the leadership of your rather stunning rector, Suzanne Willie, Mother Suzanne. She is, we can do that. She is such a gift to me and to this parish and our diocese, and I'm incredibly grateful for her pastoral presence and deep care for all of us, and also just for her amazingly faithful witness and love of Jesus. So there is something about this place, though. The spirit of All Saints Church is deep, and I have the sense that there's something about this place that nurtures a spiritual depth and commitment to transformative justice. It, you know, it's probably been a part of your DNA for a long time, but this is a congregation of what I would call mature practitioners. Mature practitioners, meaning not that you've reached perfection. I mean, none of us are reaching perfection on this side, but that you experience the Christian journey as a faith walk that seems to implicate the whole of your life. And, and I say that because I can always tell if someone is from All Saints. There's always something about them. And then they'll say, I'll ask, you know, where do you go to church? And they'll say, All Saints. And I'll go, of course you do. Because <laughs> I could tell. There's something about how Christians are formed in this community, and I am so grateful for it. Our lessons today, particularly the Joshua and Matthew passages, I think offer some juicy complexity that if read too quickly, we would, you know, miss some things. The reading from Joshua should sound a bit familiar if you think about the themes that are lifted up there. It presents a mirror kind of of the Israelites' escape from Egypt. We have Joshua leading his people with great gifts and skill, and he's blessed, and he's got these God-given powers that should sound a little bit like Moses to our ears. There is a deliverance of sorts, Joshua parts the Jordan River so that his people can pass through on dry land. And they're moving to a new place, but this reading is not quite like the passage through that Moses led. Moses liberated his people out of captivity into freedom, 
But under Joshua's leadership, there's something a little bit different going on. There's a crossing through the waters of the Jordan, and it was a prelude, though, to the conquering and displacement of the people who were already there. Hmm. It started out sounding like the kind of leadership we would lift up, but not really. Then we get the passage from Matthew. There is a lot going on in this passage too, and I suspect that leadership is also at the center of it. We could ask ourselves, is Jesus critiquing the scribes and the Pharisees? He's been on them for a while now, we've been following. Is he critiquing the scribes and the Pharisees who have positions of great spiritual and religious power that they seem to be using for their own benefit rather than for God's glory? Or is he critiquing the whole system, the Moses seat, the very seat that gives the power and makes that power dynamic possible in the first place? Or is Jesus critiquing all of it? And whether you kind of read or interpret this passage as Jesus' voice or Matthew, the gospel writer, the message is clear to the disciples. These are the students of Jesus, and he says, beware. Beware of the leader who lacks humility. Beware of the leader whose office extols the leader without serving the people. Jesus has had it with hypocrisy. Now, we live in a world where integrity seems to be in short supply, right? and where hypocrisy is kind of assumed and all too visible, whether we're talking about politics or sports or news, and yes, even the church. This is not new. Even a cursory read of scripture will show us that this has been the way. It's kind of part of being human, perhaps. But it means that finding people, finding communities, organizations that are trustworthy, it's difficult. And I don't have to run down the very long list. You know what I'm talking about. Whether it's trusting elected officials to act in the best interest of their constituents and not acting for personal gain, or expecting athletes to compete without use of performance enhancing drugs, or expecting celebrities to come, well, you know, to own up to their abuse without coming out and looking to the gay community for cover. Evan Spacey. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it's asking too much to live with integrity. But what is really at issue here is power. Power, including spiritual power. And power that's abused can be corrosive. And that's part of what Jesus is seeing here being exalted without understanding that power is meant for service, which is how Jesus leads, leads to nothing good. The robes, <laughs> the phylacteries, the places of honor. May I point out the iron and where I sit is not lost on me. <laughs> but all of this, it means nothing to me if the posture isn't about giving it away. The power and authority entrusted in the office of priest or bishop means nothing if it isn't trustworthy and about empowering all the people of God 
to be, to be who God calls them to be fully in this world. Power that is about exceptionalism is corrosive. Power that is about one person alone mattering above all others is devoid of true leadership. And so from the very beginning, even before Jesus began his public ministry, we learn that his, that his unique identity as the son of God would not be wielded to contend with the devil on the devil's terms. Remember how after fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, he would not turn stones into bread or test God when he was tempted by Satan. He knew that to do so would be an sort of a, not an indication of his power at all, because we who understand that power is made perfect in weakness know that we follow a different kind of leader, a Jesus who calls us to a very different way. If integrity is about having our inner heart and our outward actions come together, being integrated that way, then we begin to see that integrity is important enough to almost be sacramental and learning and relearning how to be both servants and leaders in the way of Jesus takes faithful practice in community. One of my favorite musicians is Wynton Marsalis. And over 10 years ago, he penned his 12 ways of practice. If you're a fan of jazz or of Marsalis, you may have read this a long time ago. And you know, he's one of the most accomplished and talented jazz musicians of our generation. And yet, the notion of practicing is what is central for him. And these are rules that he wrote that it, he himself says applies to the beginning musician or the one who is the maestro, or the athlete who's the amateur, or the professional. And I think they actually have import for those of us who desire to live in Christian community. I wonder if some of this is at the root of how All Saints just is. Especially, you know, in these days of the quick fix, the charlatan teacher, the narcissism masquerading as leadership, I think we need to think about what it means to practice. So here's how I interpret Marsalis's 12 ways or rules of practice. The first one is to seek out instruction. Find an experienced teacher who knows what you should be doing. In other words, let us be students of Jesus, like real, real disciples. Being formed in the ways and the teaching of Christ is primary, it's everything. His second rule is write out a schedule. A schedule, or you might call it a liturgical calendar, <laughs> helps you organize your time. In other words, make time for the things that matter to make your community. Worship, prayer, fellowship. In the way that we devote time to the things we care most about, whether it's training for a half marathon or training for Holy Week, it needs time. Set goals. Like a schedule, goals help you organize and to chart your progress. And here I'm not thinking of goals like spiritual attainment, but as a community, we set goals for doing the things that matter to us, that advance the reign of God. Stewardship goals, for instance. I'll throw that in for Mother Suzanne. <laughs> 
Marsalis goes on and on to sort of list other ways of practice, like concentration, you know, have a focused practice. Another rule is to relax and practice slowly because learning new ways takes time. Practice hard things. Practice those hard things longer in order to confront your inadequacies. Intentionally practice what you can't do, which is probably why we've been working on things like evangelism and racial reconciliation for so long, because they're hard. Learn from mistakes, it's another rule. Don't show off, think for yourself, be optimistic, and look for connections. And for us, that probably means connections between prayer and outreach and worship, prayer with the connections within each other, this community, our neighborhood. The gospel according to Witten Marsalis is imperfect, but I think it's a helpful lens. It's a helpful lens because living as a Christian, I mean like really living as a Christian, following the radical teachings of Jesus isn't easy. It isn't easy, which is why being part of a community is so important. Being a part of a community of practice and learning in the ways of being real and authentic and living with integrity is so so important. I want to end with a story about a leader. A few years ago, I had lunch with a former member of one of Chicago's toughest gangs. And he told me what he tells his former gang members. He said, you have to make a decision. Each and every day, you have to decide. His name is James Crockett. And James had been a member of the notorious Four Corner Hustlers gang on Chicago's west side. And one day, when the weather was about 10 degrees, he and I and several other church folks, lay and clergy from just north of Chicago, met in an Evanston cafe. And he purposefully wore a t-shirt. Now, it's 10 degrees. <laughs> he wore a t-shirt so that we could see his gang symbols and tattoos. He had a you know, tattooed body, his do-rag, his jeans. He knew he came specifically to meet with clergy and lay leaders, churchy people. And he says, this is my uniform. I wear these clothes because it says to the former and soon-to-be former gang members that he encounters that his street cred is real, and it is as real as his walk with Jesus. He says, on a good Sunday evening, some 45 guys from the streets will gather with him for Bible study and encouragement. His whole ministry is bringing, transitioning guys off the streets from the life of ganghood to a life of Jesus. And he says, every day to decide to walk away from addiction, to decide each and every day to walk with Christ, to decide to live a life that will take them away from going on the path that will probably kill them. It's a decision, it's a practice. So we had lunch that day because he said that we have to make a decision, a decision to walk together with James and work together to help end violence on Chicago's north side. And James said, look at me, look at me and my do-rag and my tattoos, hear my testimony and decide. I need you to decide and not to avert your eyes from the pain and violence in your very midst, 
but walk with me so we can pull some people out of the pain and violence. And he said, pastors, what kind of leaders will you be? I could barely eat my lunch. And James was asking us not just for a one and done experience, he was saying, you know, and he said, I don't need your money. We were in Evanston and people from Winnetka, Wilmette. He said, I want a long-term relationship because I found that that's the only thing that changes things. His is a leadership of deep, deep integrity. His was a servant leadership practiced in the ways of Jesus, in the ways of connection, in the ways of redemption, and the hope of resurrection. We might think about how the leadership of a person like James Crockett holds up to the other folks who call themselves leaders in our day. Following and leading like Jesus means being willing to give your life up over and over and over again for someone else. It is a practice. And most of us here today will not have a story as dramatic as James Crockett, but we do know what it's like to wake up each day and decide to walk in the ways that are life-giving instead of death-dealing. Each day we can wake up and decide to practice sobriety. Each day we can wake up each morning and recommit to the practice of loving our spouse or partner. Each day we wake up and we decide to not be fearful of the stranger. We can commit to the practice of giving our life away just a little bit for the sake of another. And we, we can decide to lead and be led differently. So practice on, my friends. Let us practice on faithfully. Amen.